You are listening to a message by Refuge Community Church. Refuge exists to glorify God by making disciples that shape their communities with the love of Jesus. My name is Sean Seguin. I am one of the pastors here. I think I've met uh, everybody here. Um, But um, thank you so much for joining us. We just completed a sermon series on the book of Galatians. And uh, we're getting into this new uh, sermon series called This is Our Community. This is Our Community. Um, The objective of this series is evaluating our biblical responsibility to care for our neighbors. Um, It also highlights how how our care for the community builds up or tears down uh, the community around us and how that in turn affects us. We are, whether you like it or not, a part of this world that we live in, and it's our responsibility, both for our sake and for the sake of the kingdom of God, to care for the communities we are part of. And before we dive into this uh, sermon series, before we jump into the very first sermon on this, um, this is why we are doing what we're calling Neighborly November. Um, we understand something that about the gospel that 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 calls us, that beckons us to love our neighbor as ourselves, to go out and care for our community. And so uh, we have this thing we're doing, if you haven't heard, Neighborly November. Uh, essentially what we're trying to do is, is say, hey, we, we should be doing this all year long, but like, let's take this month as a church, as a whole, to say, how can we care for and love uh, our actual neighbors around us. Now, maybe you, you live in a situation where you're like, I don't have any neighbors. I got an acre of land and I don't know anybody, you know, whatever. But maybe you can talk with your coworkers or whatever. And after today, you'll be like, um, maybe everybody's my neighbor, so whatever. Um, but I think just this idea of going, how can I be intentional this month? What's something that I can do? Plan, uh, start thinking now. If you haven't thought about it yet, because I think neighbor, uh, November kind of crept up on us um, and I don't know if some of y'all are already playing Christmas music or not, but we're, we're, already, we're already getting near the end of this year, and we've been talking about this idea of neighborly November. And so what I, want, I would, just, would encourage you, start thinking now, who is that neighbor that you have not begun to reach out to, that neighbor, that person in your apartment complex, on your street, or at your workplace, or whatever, that individual that you ha- have, maybe you've had them on your heart, but you've never really reached out to them and gotten to know them, you know? And so um, we'll be... Um, through our social media, be posting different ideas and ways that we can care for our neighbors. But man, it, it's it's pretty simple. You know, you can introduce yourself. You can invite people over for, uh, you know, a movie night, a barbecue, whatever. You know, if you got kids, invite some kids over to play. You know, invite the family over to have the kids to do a play date, whatever. Meet at a park. Lots of ways to do this. Um, but man, we want to find a way to make connections with our neighbors this month. And so, please uh, start right now if you haven't started doing that. Being intentional about doing that. But today we're diving into this, uh, this idea of, of caring for our neighbors, um, and we're looking at uh, this passage dealing, with, um, dealing specifically with the, the greatest commandment. When Jesus is asked, you know, which is the greatest commandment, he answers, uh, and this is Mark 12, 29 through 31. I don't know if we have it. We got it. I'm sorry. So, yeah, I, we got it. All right. Mark 12, 29 through 31. Um, Jesus answered, the most important is, listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Now, Jesus didn't come up with this answer all by himself. This was something that the Jews at this time all, uh, if they were experts in the law, they would have gone like, this is the answer to this question. 
Uh, I know sometimes we're like, Jesus, Jesus came up with, actually, Jesus, this was something that Jesus was like, no, I agree with our, our understanding that these, these two things are a, the best thing we can do, the way to fulfill the whole law, in fact. And, and so Jesus is in agreement with this idea that the greatest commandment is love your God as, uh, you know, just with everything and, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so he's drawing, he, he, he's saying like, this is the answer to that question. If you're gonna come and test me, that's the answer to that question. Um, and, and so what we're gonna focus on is this idea of loving our neighbor as ourself. Now, the reason is this, this idea of loving your neighbor as yourself is so intimately tied, as, as Isaiah talked about, is so intimately tied to loving our God. You see, loving the Lord your God is, uh, is, is specifically um, re- like shown in the way we obey his commandments. You know, we obey, you see, he, gives, he gives us his law, and the Jews saw the, the, the Torah uh, in the Old Testament. They said, this is how we love God, by obeying his commandments. And, and so, but what we also see is in the New Testament that all of the law is fulfilled in love your neighbor as yourself. Like, that's, that's what we see uh, multiple times. Paul mentions it twice, uh, Romans and Galatians, and then uh, Jesus uh, t- touches on it a bit. But this idea of loving your neighbor will help you essentially to fulfill this loving of God by fulfilling the whole of the law. And uh, it, I found it interesting, if you do a, a real quick search, like uh, when you look in the New Testament, you, you see love your God, you see it three times, but you see love your neighbor as yourself eight times. That's a, that's a really interesting thing that you see throughout the New Testament, that, that there seems to be this push to say like, we get, you know, if, like if, if you're Jews, we know like you, you want to love God, but maybe you have a hard time understanding that. And so so as the New Testament church began to draw it out, they were like, hey, we need to begin to talk about loving neighbor as well so that you really get it. So, you, so it draws this, this side out that you have not really grasped. And so um, that is what, that's what we're diving into today. Um, and we're going to be touching on two questions. I'm only going to be answering two questions today. Um, and, and it's this, it's who is my neighbor? And then second of all, what does it mean to love them as yourself? Who's my neighbor and what does it mean to love them as myself or as yourself? Uh, in order to do this, we're actually going to be looking at the Good Samaritan story, the Samaritan story um, a bit. Um, so we're going to go ahead and, and look at this first question. And it makes sense because this is exactly what uh, the, uh, the, the, this story is all about answering is who is my neighbor. So who is my neighbor? In the Gospel of Luke, we get uh, this story of what's known as the Good Samaritan. And I've, I've actually preached on this passage before, I think a little over a year ago. Um, and, but what I want to do today is draw out a few things that I think are really crucial for understanding this idea of loving our neighbor as ourselves. Um, and so this, there's basically what's going on in this story, uh, in in the book, in the gospel of Luke is there's an expert in the law, um, and a, a, you know, Bible expert essentially. And, and this expert in the law goes, goes to test Jesus. And he's like, he asks him, Hey, which which are the greatest commandments? Uh, or what you know? And, and 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 he's responding to him. He's like, well, what what do you think they are? And he's like, well, it's love your neighbor as yourself. Like he knows the answer to this stuff, and and he thinks he's got Jesus pegged. And then he's like, well, who is my neighbor? Then he's like, you know, there's this little back and forth because there's this like actual like honor shame culture thing going on. He's like, I'm the questioner, and now you're the one who's going to be put to shame. And he's like, actually, Jesus is like actually. 
Uh, I'm about to turn this whole thing around. And so he's like, well, who is my neighbor? He thinks he's got him pegged. And this is when he tells the story of the Good Samaritan. This is where we get the story of the Good Samaritan. Um, and so in order to answer it, he doesn't just go, well, your neighbor is this. You know, like he doesn't just answer the question. He, he begins to tell this story. And he, he, he just sets this story up so geniusly. Um, just on a literary level, on a storytelling level, this story of the Good Samaritan in, in its context is so, so genius. Uh, Jesus sees th- this man is testing him, and he starts off with this. He doesn't say who this man is, but there's this unidentified individual. Um, so we don't know anything about them, but we know that they're walking down the road. They get beat up and robbed and left half dead on the side of the road. We know that much about them. And so this, this expert in the law, this Bible expert, can immediately, like any one of us, uh, when you are watching a story and, the, and a main character is drawn out and is, and is dealt with wrongly, uh, you immediately uh, have this sense of, like, connection with that character. And so this, this Bible expert is, like, can see himself in this character. He's listening, he's, and he's trying to figure out, well, who is my neighbor and so he is imagining him, he can imagine himself, he feels this pain for this individual who's fallen on the side of the road. And then all of a sudden, this priest comes walking up. And in his, can you imagine this, this Bible expert, he's friends with priests, he's friends with Levites. He sees, he, in the story, he hears it, he goes, okay, here comes my neighbor. He, Jesus is telling me, this, this, this rabbi is telling me that my neighbor is the priest. And the priest comes up, but the, the priest walks on by on the other side of the road, it says. Uh, and you can imagine this, like, confusion. Like, well, I know that priests are my neighbors. Like, I know that I'm supposed to love them. And then all of a sudden, this Levite begins to walk up. And, and again, this Bible expert is, is like, okay, I know Levites. These are, my, these are my neighbors as well, right? And then all of a sudden... The, uh, the Levite looks, he sees him, but he doesn't, he doesn't help. He passes on the other side of the road again. And you can imagine this, this dude, he's like, well, where, who is my neighbor? And so then, who, who, you know, he may be thinking, aha, I know what Jesus is doing. I know where he's going. Next is going to be your average Israelite or something like that, right? Like, so I know that I'm supposed to love all of Israel. That's my neighbor, da, 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 whatever. He's, he's trying to follow, trying to track what Jesus is doing. And then all of a sudden, not an average Israelite, not a, not a priest, not a Levite, not a Pharisee, not a Sadducee, not a whatever, not any of the early Jewish people that a Samaritan comes along. The Samaritan sees him, has compassion on him, goes to him, carries him on his own animal, uh, takes him to an inn, cares for his needs, bandages his wounds, uses his, his own uh, his own. Uh, oils and wines and stuff to care for this man and then when when he leaves the 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 hotel he's like hey here uh the innkeeper he, he's like take take care of this man uh, i'm here's all the money uh that I, for right now that i have and i'm gonna come back and pay more uh if if he needs it let me know what, what we need to do to take care of this man this samaritan goes above and beyond right and kind of can you if you can imagine um this, this expert in the Bible is like, okay, I know my neighbor is those priests and those Levites. I know my neighbor is the, the average Jewish person. But now, now you're stretching beyond any, all boundaries that I have because my boundary says Samaritans are off limits. My boundary says, it says we, don't, we don't do that. 
And so he had created these boundaries in his heart like almost uh, most first century Jews did. Now, if you don't know who the Samaritans are, we, I've, I've probably explained this four or five times in, in the past few years, but, or in the past couple of years, but I think Samaritans, just so you know, Samaritans were those people who uh, long before the first century, uh, about several hundred years before that, there was an exile where all these Jews were taken captive and taken into slavery and to another land, and some were left behind, and the ones that were left behind, some of them actually ended up getting together, uh, marrying together with non-Jewish people, and ending, ending up worshiping differently than the law had called them to worship. And so then when their children were born and then they had grandchildren and all that, these other Jewish people, their grandchildren come back and they're like, you guys are worshiping at the wrong mountain. You guys are doing things. You admit, you're, wait, your parent is a, your, your dad's a Gentile? Like, this is not okay. Like, it starting to kind of freak them out when they came back. This is, is the story of the Samaritans. The Samaritans come out of this, like, group of people who basically are viewed as compromised Jews who are mixed with, who chose to mix themselves with the rest of the world and were willing to, to worship differently and change everything. And so this isn't, this isn't just a, a like, uh, ethnic issue. This is, this is a, a deeply tied to how they worship and love God as well. They're like, you guys, uh, these Samaritans don't love God. They don't, do, they don't follow his law properly. And so this is, this is who the Samaritans were. They became, they became like outsiders, just like the other Gentiles and, and all that. And so if you came in contact with them, you, kind of, you, you, you would go around Samaritan villages. You don't go through Samaritan villages because you don't want to receive the shame from that village on yourself, right? Um, and so here this man hears about this Samaritan who he's like, no, 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 the, my, these walls are up. Like you can't, you can't cross that boundary and love that. That person can't be my neighbor. And Jesus just wrecks every wall that this man has in his heart. Now the, the word neighbor here is a word that essentially means, uh, to, to draw near, that's, that's essentially one who, one, who is, one who draws near or one who is near. Um, and this, this I, idea of being one who draws near, like think about what, you, what we see in the picture. You see uh, in the story, you see two men who, who stayed far away. They, they, did, they were not neighbors to this man, but the Samaritan does draw near to this unidentified man on the side of the road. So you got this idea of drawing near. And then in the end of the story, Jesus finishes the story and he says, uh, which one of these men proved to be a neighbor? And this is a, this is a pretty good uh, interpretation of this this Greek phrase, um, and there, I think it's important to draw this out. I, I think um, it's there. There are multiple translations that would say something like, "Who who was a good neighbor to him?" And th- that's that's fine. There, there's nothing wrong with it. Like it's it's true. Who was a neighbor? You can answer that question. But he uses a word that that doesn't mean to be, but to become. That's the verb that he uses. He's like. So who became a neighbor? Who came to be a neighbor? Who proved to be a neighbor? This is the word that he's using. And this is very intentional. He's not saying, who was the neighbor? Who was, you, you're asking me who his neighbor is? I'll tell you who he was. Now you tell me who he was. He says, no, who became a neighbor? Essentially, who was the one who drew near to him? Who was the one who, you know, he, Jesus is saying, uh, you want to know who your neighbor is? You want, you want to like get a, a way out? You want to justify yourself? Let me, let me actually make this way harder for you. The neighbor is the one who draws near. That's what a neighbor is. I mean, this, this is, you know, so important for this man to get because this is a man who views himself uprightly. He's, a, he's a basically a Bible scholar. He's like, he's a leader in his community. 
And he comes to test Jesus and finds out there's something very flawed in his own heart. He has a hard time even answering Jesus' question. When he says, who proved to be a neighbor? He's like, the one who did mercy. That's what, that's what his response is, the one who did mercy. He can't even, like, he doesn't want to say, like, the Samaritan is, is <laughs> proved to be a neighbor. He's struggling with this. Like, this is, is hard. And so Jesus, again, Jesus is wrecking these boundaries, wrecking all of these walls in him. And part of the reason, again, like I said, you know, like we talked about this last week a bit, this idea of an honor-shame culture. If you associate with, if you draw near to someone who has shame associated with them, then you have shame associated with you. And so um, if this Bible expert accepts that, this, that Samaritans can become his neighbor, all of a sudden he's got to think about the way he treats them. He's got to think about the way he's like, well, then what happens to me and my reputation? How is my community going to treat me if they see me actually breaking down walls and talking with Samaritans? It, it's very difficult to grasp for him, you know. And, and I think he, he, he definitely could have imagined Jesus saying, you know, um, obviously your neighbor, you know, your neighbor is, are the faithful Jews of Israel. Jesus could have even said all of Israel. Jesus has this extremely inclusive move and he's like anyone who we draw near to he just blows up all these expectations it's not just faithful worshipers of god it's not just those who are called israelites it's all people can become a neighbor all people can prove to be a neighbor and jesus is calling us to view our all all people as our neighbors as well as we begin to read as we think about this and we get we have to get rid of all of our own personal dividing lines um, y'all might laugh hearing this, but Mr. Rogers did this really well. All right, Mr. Rogers did this really well. Um, man, I, I I don't know how how many of you watched Mr. Rogers at least once as a kid. Yeah, I mean, like so many of us have seen Mr. Rogers, um, millions of people, and you think of it, we we watched Mr. Rogers from the comfort of our home, own homes inside of the comfort of our own neighborhoods, and yet it doesn't matter which neighborhood you come from you are addressed as neighbor. This is very intentional. Mr. Rogers was a Christian, and he based his ideas of being a good neighbor on this concept. It didn't matter if you were rich or poor. It didn't matter your ethnicity, your gender, your, uh, you know, your, uh, uh, your people, whatever abilities or disabilities you may have, uh, any, whatever your sexuality or your gender or what, I mean, anything, every, pe- every person from every place all of a sudden, in those 28 minutes, when, we, when you're watching, become a neighbor. He addresses you as neighbor, no matter what. This is, this is, and this is straight out of Scripture, right? I mean, this is really how we're called to be. Um, a, a writer named Shay Tuttle wrote an article um, on Mr. Rogers uh, back in 2018, and, and there was some really good stuff in here. Um, but I, I really love this quote. Um, she wrote this. When Mr. Rogers called us neighbors, when he hosted us in his own neighborhood for over 30 years, he was calling us gently but firmly out of our structures of power, out of our silos of sameness, into lives of mercy and care for one another. That's so beautiful. I mean, this is, this is genius. This is really genius. I mean, you think about this. Before television, it wasn't possible to, to like kind of like, make this kind of claim to a bunch of people and draw people into a neighborhood 
all at one time. But, but Mr. Rogers is able to do that. He's, he's able to say, come, join me. Welcome, neighbor. You're, you're part of my neighborhood. And what happens then, like, again, you know, is, is if you're his neighbor, then you're the neighbor of everybody else watching. Like, he kind of draws us all into this place. Man, and so instead of us asking this question, who is my neighbor, right? We should be asking, how can I become a neighbor to everyone that I meet, to everyone that I meet? Or, you know, who will become my neighbor today? Who will I prove to be a neighbor to today? And, and what are ways in which I can draw near to those who might be distant because of my own heart, because of my own unforgiveness, because of my own walls, because of my own prejudices, because of whatever, and I can confidently say that in response to any one of us, uh, any one of us who might ask, well, who is my neighbor? You may say, well, what about LGBTQIA? You know, like, what about that community? I mentioned this one first because historically this has been a, a major issue. The church has not handled this, this well, has, has not dealt with this well. But is that my neighbor? Jesus would respond, draw near to them and become a neighbor. And then if you said, what about those who, who uh, vote differently than me on topics I care deeply about? Jesus would say, draw near to them and become a neighbor. If you asked, what about, uh, what about people of other faiths? Jesus would say, draw near to them and become a neighbor. What about, I don't know, racists, you know, <laughs> draw near to them and become a neighbor. There's no boundaries. We are called to become the neighbors of all individuals that we possibly can. Like, as we, if we see a need, we can go, we can meet it. If we see another individual, uh, you know, it's easy in our neighborhoods. Like, you actually have physical neighbors. But, like, every one of us are called to become a neighbor, to prove to be a neighbor, and, and to, to recognize that every person has that need uh, of connection with other people. And so what, uh, who, who is your neighbor? Anyone you come in contact with uh, is able to become a neighbor. And, and it's our calling to make this so. Like, it's our, like Jesus is calling us out of our, our unforgiveness. He's calling us out of our prejudices. He's calling us out of our, our, our little bubbles. And he's saying, like, hey, go and make some neighbors. Go and make some neighbors. I think that's the first step to making disciples. So go make some neighbors and then go make some disciples. Um, but this, this means that all people uh, also become your equal. All people become worthy of being called your neighbor, right? I mean, if the Jewish, the Jewish man has a hard time understanding the Samaritan as his equal now and, and being willing to share a social uh, connection with him, like, we've got to be willing to recognize, like, the humanity of all individuals, the imago Dei, the image of God on every person we are equal with. There's no one who... The, just because someone sins differently than you doesn't mean uh, that you are any better than them, that your sins are, are any, make you any better than them. And so we're called to, uh, to make ourselves neighbors to others, um, to see ourselves as equals. To, and, and in fact, those people who we have brought down in our own minds, when we've lined them up, we, we need to lift them up in our own hearts and our own minds. We need to lower ourselves. Actually, that's probably what we need to do. We need to lower ourselves. So who is, who is my neighbor? Everyone, okay? Become a neighbor. Um, but what does it mean to love them as yourself? What does it mean to love them as yourself? Uh, I strongly believe that this is a call to compassionate living. 
In fact, uh, this is an example, uh, this is the example given in the Samaritan story. A call to compassionate living. Uh, the thing that separates the priest, Levite, and, and, the, uh, and the, the Samaritan is compassion. When, when it says that, that he had, it, the thing that he had when he looked at him, cause, because uh, at least we know the Levite looked, uh, the, but the Samaritan looked and he had compassion. This is a, a kind of thing that's birthed on the inside of you, this gut-wrenching thing that draws you out and, and calls you to action. It's empathy, it's empathy that calls you to action, essentially. And so here we see the Samaritan who's, who's, uh, who's the thing that separates him is this compassion. And this ties so deeply into, into who our neighbor is, how we view our neighbor. I mean, uh, I struggle with this at times. You know, I pass by my uh, these. You know, I pass by homeless individuals on on pretty much every uh, intersection in Austin, and oftentimes they can become just another thing on the side of the road. I can ignore. I can I can keep looking forward. I can you know look around and and, and pretend like they're not there, um, or I can look them in their eyes and you know show them the respect that they deserve like every other human. But I can find myself getting into my mode because I'm like, oh, I don't, I, 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 it's just another thing that we see everywhere we go. In reality, like, again, this is, this is another neighbor of mine that I can draw near to, that I can have compassion on. And, I mean, you know, I, I think we all do this a bit. Like, I mean, it, it's one thing to... to have compassion on or to to pass by someone on the side of the road and because you see it so often you just kind of grow numb to it it's one thing to do that but like this idea of truly having compassion on on all people when you realize that all people are your neighbors it it changes the way you interact with people I mean I mean let me give you an example so like you have a close imagine a close friend of yours a spouse or a friend or whatever and that person gets beat up and robbed they tell you their story and immediately your heart is is gutted for them. You have compassion. You think, what can I do to replace what you lost? What, how can I help you? Is there anything, is there anything I can do? Close friend, we're going to do that for, right? Um, but when you hear on the news every day, like the horrific things that happen, our gut, like, there's not this like, gut-wrenched feeling. You're kind of like, man, that's, that's sad. Like, that's just sad. Um, because we don't know that individual, because we don't view them as, as someone that's part of who we are, you know? There's this division. There's this otherness to them uh, in, in, in our experience of them because we don't know them. Um, but I think that even those stories on the news, if we, if we began to recognize, like, like st- if you stop and think about it for a second, like, who is this individual? Like, how, how could I draw? I mean, you probably can't draw near to someone on the news, uh, but to, how could I draw near to this individual that I don't know? When you see something, when you hear of something going wrong, uh, and that you can actually draw near to. How can I draw near? How can, uh, how come I'm not broken more over these stories? Why, you know, I, I just wish that I have that struggle in my own heart. Like I want, I want to be broken over the brokenness in this world. God's heart breaks over the brokenness in this world. But even more so, like even if you could imagine if you found out, um, this is something that happens, I think, for all of us. Uh, but the person who harmed your friend and robbed them. Imagine if like 10 minutes later, that person then got beat up and robbed. Uh, there's a sense of like joy brought out of that. Partially because there's peace, because justice is brought. Like just, like there's, that's fair, right? Like it's good that a wrong is not left un, un, 
cared for. We want injustices to be recognized as injustices, and we want things restored. We want all things right. Justice is good, but there's something different about like being like, yeah, like thank God that's that's resolved, and like that's what they get. You know what I mean? Like that's what they get. Um, it's kind of like that feeling of like when someone like cuts you off in traffic and then like 10 minutes later you see that like the police pull them over and you feel that like little bit of like yeah you deserve that (laughs) uh like we all have that it's 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 something that um people have started to call uh and it's a german term schadenfreude if you've ever heard of the schadenfreude which means like uh joy derived from someone else's pain uh and this happens like at at a minor level like for fun like people messing around with each other like your team versus another person's team uh yeah, there was, there's already been some rivalry going on today. Uh, but they're like two, two different teams. And like when their team loses, you're like, yeah, like there's a bit of joy, you know. Um, that's, that's normal. That's, that's fine. That's, that's something that we all experience. But there's, all, but there's this deeper experience where an enemy of ours, when an enemy of ours is harmed when justice, when justice is being done, um, that it turns into this strange, like, joy, this unhealthy joy. I mean, because if we're going to love our neighbor as ourselves, if we're going to have compassion on people, what we need to begin to do is be able to see ourselves in that individual. That's how we, that's how we become neighbors. We begin to, that's how we have compassion. You begin to see yourself in the other. And you begin to ask yourself, how would I feel if I were in this situation if I, if I had done someone wrong uh, and if I had the heart that I have today, I would want justice done. I would want to pay them back everything that happened. If I needed to go to prison, I would want to serve my time. If I needed, you know, whatever. I would want to do what was right to bring peace to that other individual's heart. But I would also hope for mercy and I'd be praying that people would offer me mercy and I would, I would hope that other people wouldn't be excited over my pain. There's this like strange fine line between like, a healthy amount of peace over, uh, over the justice being done, over, over you know, some sort of vengeance being, taking place, and, and like joy, schadenfreude coming out, you know, uh, over these, these uh, individuals being harmed, over their, their, um, their difficulties and situations. Now, <laughs> to be clear, uh, I know that people have done horrific things, right? Like, um, that, that, and there's a desire for justice to be served in these situations. I know there may be someone uh, in, your, in your past that has harmed you deeply, that brought you great trauma. And, um, and I would say, you know, in these situations, um, all the, like, there's all this like, more of the understanding why you would feel a sense of joy out of their harm. And yet at the same time, when Christ calls us to forgive, when Christ calls us to do these things like it shifts the way we ought to interact with those people who have harmed us it doesn't mean it's right it doesn't mean that you um when we talk about becoming a neighbor you don't have to draw near to that individual uh who is dangerous you know uh who who brought you great trauma you don't have to do that um i think it's important for us to keep our healthy boundaries to keep ourselves safe but i think remembering like also like when that thing in your heart is excited about their harm there's unforgiveness there. There's unforgiveness there. And God wants to heal that in you. That's still, that's still, on, that's still, a, 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 um, that's still binding you up. That's still harming you. But anyway, um, man, I, I think this idea of, of 
having compassion, compassionate living, really drawing that out and understanding this is how we love our neighbors as ourselves. Now, this uh, thinking about the idea of loving your neighbor as yourself, and I think sometimes we this passage has been exegeted a little bit strangely. Um, people will say, oh, you know, it means that you need to care about yourself first so that you can love others well, and that's not what Jesus is saying. If you have any doubt about whether or not you are valuable, just look at the cross, okay? Just, just so you know, like, G, G, you are deeply valuable. God came in for and became human and, uh, and died on the cross for you, okay? So you're deeply valuable, deeply loved, but that's not what this passage is about. Love your neighbor as yourself. The point of this is to say you need to be able to see yourself in the other. The person that you've put the wall up against, the person that has, has uh, harmed you, the person who is your enemy, the person who you have your own prejudices against because someone else who was like them harmed you, the person, well, you know, all of these individuals become a person that, that you ought to be able to see yourself in. They become much less other and you become much more one. Um. Man, I think this is, this is an important thing to, to draw out. So to love your neighbor as yourself is to empathize uh, so that compassion is drawn out and leads you to action. This, this is really a, a key thing for us to grasp. To love your neighbor as yourself is to empathize so that compassion is drawn out and leads you to action. This compassion, this love for neighbor is, is seen very clearly when we read, this, we read the, uh, the definition of love in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8 says this. Uh, many you've probably, most of you have heard this, but love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy, is not boastful, is not arrogant, is not rude, is not self-seeking, is not irritable, does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. And he goes on. But this, this section of this definition of what love looks like, this is what we're called to. This is what compassionate living looks like. This is what happens when the walls go down and you're able to see yourself drawing near to the neighbor, to the other, to the one that is not like yourself, to the one that you have a hard time connecting with. Like I said, the, the, the Bible expert, he had an easy time seeing the priest and the Levite as his neighbor. He didn't need help understanding that. What he needed help understanding was that the Samaritan is his neighbor as well. We're called to love all people beyond all boundaries that we might have, to to become a neighbor to all. I mean, think about how patient would you want others to be with you if you were making mistakes, you know? How, uh, How kind do you want others to be to you when you're having a bad day and you're just being a miserable person? You know, how long do you want others to hold on to your mistakes against you. As you begin to see that and you ask that, that question, when you say love, you know, love, uh, love your neighbor as yourself, begin to think like, if I begin to see myself in this individual, how would I want to be treated? How could I care for and love them in the way that I, I would want to be treated as well? Uh, so whether it's an enemy or a stranger, uh, they are your neighbor, and Christ calls us to show them the same kindness and understanding we would desire if we were in their situation. And how, sh- how far should this love of neighbor take us, though? Um, I believe that it's a call not just to help individuals. Like you see a person in trouble or whatever, not just a, help, a call to help people we see suffering in, as, as individuals, um, or when someone's rude to be kind and, and, or to not rejoice over their, their brokenness or whatever. This is also a call to stand in solidarity with others. 
and to become allies with others. This is a call to vote for laws of compassion. Uh, so on an individual level, we are personally called uh, to care for others, right, on, a, on an individualistic basis. But on a systemic or structural level, uh, we're called to participate in working towards justice. It's all part of loving our neighbors. I mean, it, it, it's interesting. We just had this, this vote recently. Um, There's a, a lot of signs up, Prop A, you know, no way Prop A, and, you know, yes way Prop A. I don't know what the other slogan was. But there was, like, this back and forth between this. But, like, it's our job. I'm not going to weigh in on the situation. But it's our job to look at these things and go, um, what does compassion call me to vote for? How does compassion call me to vote? And is it okay for me to step back and not vote in this situation, right? Like, we got to begin to think about how do our local laws harm our, or help our community? And then you have to assess whether or, not, uh, whether or not compassion draws you to do this or to do that. Uh, and so um, the way we vote, the way we become allies with others, um, the way we lift up the other, like, that's, that's really um, all part of loving our neighbor as ourselves. Um, but it doesn't stop there. Uh, only, uh, people are not only struggling with human oppression individually and structurally, but everyone is born under the oppression of sin. We're born into slavery. We all are bound to, to, to struggle with our own sins. And so when you look at someone who has not placed their trust in Christ, that is another individual under the oppressive, uh, oppressive master, slave master called sin. And that's another person that we are called to go to, be a neighbor, care for, and find a way to be compassionate through, through evangelism. Evangelism is a compassionate thing. We have good news that can set people free from their oppression. So we're called to these, these things. This is being a good neighbor. This is what it looks like to love your neighbor as yourself. And the message of the cross is such, an amazing, is such amazing news on multiple levels. On the cross, Jesus is overturning unjust systems and structures. I mean, Rome, the structure, the system of Rome is bringing him down unjustly, and it's brought to shame because they do this unjust thing. So he's bringing down this unjust system. Uh, and, and he also becomes the man beaten and stripped and left to die. He becomes the unidentified man in our story. When we read the story again, thinking through the lens of the cross... We, we can't help but to look at someone struggling then and go, that is Christ in that situation. My neighbor is, is that my neighbor in their struggle, that is Christ crucified right there. Like there's this like recognition that he is present there. When you see that person who can't pay rent, who, who uh, doesn't have food for the day, or that person who is struggling uh, with depression or anxiety, or who experiences persecution, subjugation, marginalization, or sin and spiritual bondage or whatever, we can know, we can know, and or we can now see Christ present in, with, and through that individual. Let me explain. Christ locates himself in three places when we read the gospel, gospels. One is in communion. He takes the cup and the bread and he says, this is my body, this is my blood. He, he like locates himself in this. Now, we don't believe that the, the bread becomes his literal body and the wine is literal blood. We don't, we don't hold to that. But we do believe that Christ is present in, with, and through this, this thing we call communion. 
But not only that, Christ uh, locates himself uh, in the midst of where two or three gather in his name. Says, there I am in their presence, in their midst. This is why Paul calls the church the body of Christ. And so when we gather together, we can say Christ's presence is here today, in, with, and through the body. The third place he locates himself, which is not spoken of very much, is the least of these. He says, in as much as you've done for the least of these, you have done unto me. Man, when we see the suffering of others, we should also see Christ crucified. He was left beaten and half naked, hung on the cross, left to die. He understands your suffering. He understands the suffering of your neighbors. He enters into our suffering with us. And when we then see how our own sin leads to Christ's death, maybe we can see how we begin, how much more connected we are to the suffering of all people than than we realize. Maybe we can begin to allow Christ to knock down the barriers in our own hearts. Maybe someone uh, you never could have imagined as your neighbor can become someone who your heart is broken for. Maybe you can begin to forgive. Maybe you can begin to stand in solidarity uh, or vote uh, on more just and compassionate laws. Maybe you can begin to share the gospel. Your neighbors are waiting. Your neighbors are waiting. Again, this isn't why we're just leaving it up to like regular reminders to, uh, to care for our neighbors, right? Um, but we're ha- we have this month called Neighborly no- November, and I just want to remind us again. Right now, be thinking about that individual that you could be reaching out to. Maybe, and maybe it's the neighbor that you, you pass every day when you go through that intersection and you see him standing on the side asking for, for a little bit of help. Maybe, maybe you have actually an individual in mind. You're like, I need, I need to go care for that person somehow. Ask God to give you someone in your heart right now. Like, be like, God, who is it that I need to care for this month? You know, begin to think of ways to reach out and love your community. Uh, and so that's, that's one way can, we can apply this message. Um, I, I want to give you guys one little helpful thing that I have found very helpful uh, when I'm thinking about my neighbors. And it, for any of you, I don't know if, you, if music is helpful for you, but for me, music is very helpful. Um, there's a, a community of worship leaders, I guess, uh, called the Porter's Gate. Um, they have a whole album called Neighbor Songs. Neighbor Songs. Man, go listen to that album. It is so good. It's just like scripture after scripture about loving others and, and following the commandment to love. Like, it, it's, it's just, it's very good. Um, Porter's Gate, Neighbor Songs, I'm not getting paid to say that. Um, I don't know any of them. Uh, but anyway, check it out. Let it, let it move your heart. I mean, sometimes a little bit of music is, is what we need to move us into action, uh, even though my sermon should have, no, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, anyway, we're going to go ahead and close out with prayer, and, and then we'll uh, go to our time of communion. Father, thank you so much uh, for your, your presence in, with, and through this body today. Thank you that you have called us to be uh, the neighbors of all those we come in contact with. Thank you that you have given us this, this calling. Thank you that you break down walls and barriers. Thank you that you uh, locate yourself in, the, in those who are hurting and powerless and, and broken and vulnerable. Thank you for all that you do to create, to help us to see our fellow uh, human, our fellow image bearer uh, in your image. 
I pray that we would begin to uh, forgive those we need to forgive, to reach out to those we need to uh, reach out to, to stop ignoring those we need to stop ignoring, and to love others as we, uh, as we would love ourselves, as we would want others to do for us. So thank you, God. We love you. We thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope this message encourages you and strengthens your faith.